Hello, my name is Gary Williams. I'm the director at the Pastors Academy, and I'm here with Matthew Mason, who is our tutor in ethics. Matthew, you've joined us recently. Um, so why did you come to do this? What's it all about? What are you hoping to achieve in the role of tutor in ethics at the Pastors Academy? Thanks, Gary. Um, I have served as a pastor for a number of years. I was ordained in 2005 um, and had served uh, in a different capacity in a church a little bit before that. And one of the things I realised over my years uh, in, in ministry was the complexity of people's lives and how hard it is often for us to know how to live in a way that enables us and others to flourish and in a way that is pleasing and honouring to, to God. And I had the great, uh, the great blessing of being taught ethics by David Field at Oak Hill. And so being given a really careful, thoughtful, inspiring, rich grounding in how theology and ethics belong together. And I think the world is telling us all the time in different ways, what a flourishing life looks like, what the good is and how to live in a way that is good. And, and the challenge for us as pastors is to work out how to ourselves and help our congregations to have minds formed by the gospel, minds formed by the riches of Christian theology, minds formed by the whole of scripture, so that uh, by God's grace, we can live lives that are pleasing and honouring to him, not to earn salvation, but as those who have been saved. Um, and I think over the years, I, I enjoy reading, I enjoy thinking. I've had the, the great opportunity to do some uh, graduate theological study. And I love, I've had opportunities to train and teach pastors, and I've loved doing that and loved helping fellow ministers just think through how to take stretching and difficult intellectual ideas, both cultural and philosophical ones, and then biblical and theological ones and make them accessible so they're food for us and food for our people so i'm hoping that that that's my role to serve pastors mm. uh, to help pastors serve their congregations to live in the light of the gospel in ways that please and honor god you've you've connected ethics and theology there um and and you're speaking as if there's a job still to be done here and it hasn't been done um so that, that seems quite distinctive from the way that I grew up as a Christian thinking about ethics. It was, a sort of, you know, you'd find a chapter on this ethical problem or a chapter on that ethical problem. And my concern is, you know, well, what should I think about war? Or what should I think about abortion or something like that? And it was, some of it was quite pragmatic. And I think the reasoning that I was reading and what you've described there is, is different from that, I think. It feels more theologically formed as an approach to ethics. Is that, is that part of the, the job that you think still needs to be done or, or is it, maybe people have done it, but uh, a lot of us haven't had access to that work and you're, you're keen to connect us up. How do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of putting it. I think that's right. I think we live um, in fragmented times. And I think often the way uh, ethics has been taught, whether that's philosophical ethics, 
in the secular world or whether that is in the church has been fragmentary. Um, I don't think we can think about war, to take that example, without thinking about what it means to be human, without thinking about peace and what peace is and where peace comes from and where peace originates. I mean, we were talking mm -hmm. uh, recently about an essay by, uh, by John Webster, who I will no doubt cite in tedious amount, where actually Webster begins his discussion of peace uh, by beginning with the God of peace, the God who is peace in himself, who, who is fullness, but also tranquility of, of life and harmony and repose, and who creates a peaceful world that is then marred by sin. Um, and who, uh, in the death of his son, becoming subject to violence and judgment uh, and bearing sin and guilt and violence, then takes it away and sets us on course again to live in harmony with one another. And so we, I don't think we can think about war without actually thinking about what it means to be human um, what it means to live in human community, to live as a nation. Um, among other nations, and we can't begin to think about that until we understand who the God who made us is and why he made us. To put it another way, we can't live without acting. And often I think ethics focuses on those acts. Uh, mm -hmm. What must I do in this situation? Or how do I make a decision on this tricky ethical issue? But actually we can't act without having um, some sense of what the good is you know we we can't we can't act uh, without uh, forming making decisions being oriented towards something that we think is good our world will tell us a lot of things about what is good for humans express yourself be true to yourself don't let others restrict your freedoms do no harm to others but beyond that do whatever you want. That's the good, that's the, the idea of freedom and flourishing that our culture is encouraging us to aim for. Well, the, the Bible, God's own revelation of himself and his works in history gives us an entirely different definition of what good is that again starts with the God who is good, who is good and who does good, who, who has made us good and given us a form of life that is good to live, it's good for us. But I can't understand myself until I understand myself in relation to him, until I understand myself as sinful, under wrath, justly condemned, damaging others, um, and offered and given cleansing, forgiveness, righteousness in Christ, and then renewed by the Spirit. But now you're making me think this is an enormous project because that's just war. Um, that you've talked about there, and there's a lot to understand to understand war. So, so is your approach, um, it's not going to be, I must cover every topic. Presumably this is a case of helping us learn to think and to reason theologically and ethically in ways that we will then be able to deploy on other questions. You can't cover everything, can you? Even, even, if, even if you had a huge chunk of the seminary curriculum to your to yourself as as tutor in ethics um so it's 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 there'd be a bit of so what should we think about x but but probably more of how should we think is that yeah that, that's right and i don't think we can know what to think until we know how to think yeah 
And I think we we can't make the the, the low level detailed decisions without having the high level theological principles and philosophical principles in place. So, I mean, the, the coming day on um, on transgender is a pressing cultural concern, mm. but I've been just depressed by how, not just how shrill and combative a lot of the conversations, but how shallow. Mm. And I think it gets, it gets us, I see that as a way into thinking about what does it mean actually to be human? Mm. What does it mean to be embodied? What does it mean to be male and female? Okay, because I was thinking when you were talking then, um, all this big, big theology and, and what is the good and things, but you're, but you're doing a day on transgender, which yeah. sounds, sounds very specific, uh, very narrow and, and perhaps about these actions. But what you're, what you're saying is it's, no, it raises so many questions. Yes. Um, and, and it takes, we're actually thinking about much, much bigger things in thinking about transgender. So the day presumably will be a combination of the, the specific, but then the, but then the much larger as well. Is that Ab absolutely? And so I think of it in terms of I think it's helpful to think in terms of icebergs. Mm -hmm. And I think often we get stuck on the little bit of the iceberg that's above the water. We have to talk about that. It's like in preaching, we have to earth our preaching in real life application. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if it's only the tip of the iceberg, and mm -hmm. um, then we won't we won't really understand it, and we'll miss everything. On so. My job is to submerge us, mm -hmm. explore the rest of the iceberg, and then to come back up and say, okay, what is really in front of us? Mm -hmm. if you think about transgender as the tip of the arrow. Mm -hmm. Then behind that, there's the shaft and the flight and the bow mm -hmm. and everything that's driving it. And why does it make sense to mm -hmm. some in our culture uh, that someone could change their gender mm -hmm. and their sex? Mm -hmm. Uh, and why is it not just an arbitrary thing for Christians mm. to say, no, our bodies actually do define our sex and gender? Mm. Mm. Um, so, so doing both. But, but hopefully in doing it this way, it won't just be a day about transgender, although it will be about that. Yeah. It will be, we'll come away saying this, well, this actually applies to um. I think there's pastoral stuff in there about eating disorder, although mm. I don't talk about eating disorders, but how do I relate to my body? Mm. What do I do when I, I'm uncomfortable with my body? Mm. Um, if I don't feel like a, a, a masculine man, well, what does that mean to be a masculine man? Mm. Mm. And again, I, I'm just, I see a lot of proof texting. Yeah. Um, and I see a lot of fairly clumsy theological work in a lot of these areas. Mm -hmm. And my hope is to connect us with some resources from the past and, and the present that help us to think more holistically from scripture. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that actually we, we experience God's word as good, not as arbitrary or oppressive, yeah. mm -hmm. but in a way that applies to everyone in our churches in different ways, actually, not just maybe one or two individuals and not just to the world out there. Yeah. Yeah, and not just therefore just to this, this issue. Yeah. Um, when when we talk about this issue, there's a difference, I guess, isn't there, between the sort of political realm, um, in which there's a lot of hostility and heat, and the, and the pastoral realm, in which you might be helping an individual. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that's going to feature in, that, that sort of distinction? And what? And I, I was 
thinking about how what you do when they come together. Yes. So you're actually dealing with an individual for whom this is a deeply personal issue, but who is massively motivated politically and engaged politically. And on the one hand, if they were a purely political figure, you might want to speak to them in one way, but because you know they're not, because they're a person and it's a personal pastoral issue for them. Um, how, are those the sorts of things you're going to be talking about as well, that, those, that different arenas in which we have to address this issue and the tension that can create? I think that's one of those things that it's hard to address in lots of specific detail because for each of us, our temperaments and our circumstances mm. differ. Mm. And so I, I think it is actually not my role to tell a pastor, mm -hmm. this is how you must do it. <laughs> Let me script the conversation for you. Exactly, because every, every, I think being a pastor is actually an extremely difficult place to be in precisely these issues because because the pastoral role is both personal and public mm. so even though even if it's not political in the sense of uh, involving political campaigning or even caring for someone who's politically active it is a it is a public or a semi-public role mm. Mm. Um, and so I, I sort of do make the distinction of pastoring individuals and speaking in public mm. Mm. Um, and we must be able to do that in a way that has integrity so that someone who, with whom we speak in private, in the private of our study or mm. our gymnasium, as I'm now calling them. Um, <laughs> that must be the subject of another podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Why you should rename your study. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we should never have that conversation get up in the pulpit or say something on social media and have that person turn around to us and say, well, hang on a minute, that's, how does that fit together? Well, that's a different you. Well, that's a different you. Hmm. Or we should never preach in a way that if our congregation could overhear our conversation with someone in our study, they'd be scandalized. Mm -hmm. But the way I will talk to someone who is actually philosophically, culturally, politically driven mm. is different from the way I would speak to someone whose teenage daughter has just come home from school and said I, I think I'm a I think I'm a boy I want to I, I want to start taking puberty blockers mm. to someone who has had a life of longing to be the other sex just as Jesus speaks to Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman differently but in a way that's consistent and has integrity. He, he speaks to the tax collectors and the prostitutes differently than he speaks to the Pharisees as the gospels go on. And yet it's the same truths informing it. And so I think I, I make the distinction of wisdom and compassion. And I fear that a lot of our, a lot of the way we talk about, a lot of the way things are framed in the culture, but also a lot of the way things are framed among evangelical Christians is we must be compassionate. I totally believe that. But our compassion must be governed by wisdom and by God's truth. Now, I, I am not the possessor of all wisdom. And so I think I can talk at the level of principle and trust that actually pastors have the word of God and they have the Holy Spirit and hopefully they have elders or lay leaders around them so that together 
that we can learn. I think it's partly a conversation. It won't just be me downloading. I was going to ask that. Is, it, is there going to be much scope for discussion on these? Yeah, definitely. And I, I assume that, you know, I, I have 15 or whatever it is, years of pastoral ministry experience. There'll be there'll be people with way more experience than me and um, maybe people with less experience, but more insights and more gifts in that. So there'll be plenty of opportunity to learn from each other as well. Yeah, no. I, I think, I think again, for me personally, knowing I'm not alone in this is a huge thing. Mm. Just the encouragement of saying, oh, I've thought this issue through with some other ministers. Mm. And we've, we may not agree on everything. I dare say we won't, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but nevertheless, I'm not alone as I seek to do this. Mm -hmm. It's enormously helpful. Mm -hmm. um, now, obviously, your time beginning with us is a little bit peculiar because it's coincided with the virus and all the restrictions. Um, but this this term, you're, well, next week, actually, on the 13th of October, you're doing this day online. Yep. And people can still sign up for that if they're watching this before that. Um, but then it's going to happen in person at London Seminary on the 11th of November. And then you're going to be doing it for, well, in other time zones. That's in December and, and January. Um, so that pastors in other parts of the world can access this day as well. Um, one other thing to mention is the Oliver O'Donovan Resurrection and Moral Order Reading Group. Just while we're, we're here, you're going to be helping people understand that brilliant but difficult book. Yep. Um, and all information about all of this is, is on the website. So it's great to talk to you, Matthew. Thank you very much. Great to have you with us. Um, and folks listening, you can find out more about all that Matthew's going to be doing on the Pastors Academy website. Thanks, Gary.